Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksters? What the fuck Tuckians? How's it going? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. Welcome to it. It is called WTF. Thank you for joining. How's everybody doing? Is everybody okay? How are all my Republican comrades? How are you doing, comrade? What is happening? Oh my God. I don't what something's going to give and it ain't going to be good. Maybe it will be. I don't know. Look, I've got a great show. I do know that uh, today on the show, David Diggs is here. David Diggs, a great actor. I, I like him a great deal. I saw him. He was the original Thomas Jefferson in Hamilton. And, you know, he's shown up on Blackish. He's done other stuff, but he's got this film out uh, called Blind Spotting, which is really a beautiful very personal, uh, very uh, um, yeah. It's a it's 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 a heavy film in some ways, but it's definitely an Oakland-based movie. It's a real love letter to Oakland, where where he grew up. And it's interesting that Boots Riley, who was just here, also an Oakland cat. And there's a little crossover. David saw Boots uh, give a talk at some point in his youth, and uh, but uh, but it was I, I enjoyed the movie. It, it has some unique stuff in it, and it was great talking to him. And also, in just a couple minutes, I'm going to talk to uh, to Bob Newhart for a, for just a just a phone call with Bob Newhart about his new thing. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. Uh, thank you for all the feedback on my small but uh, relatively focused rant or tirade or or reaction to the superhero movies. You know, there was a lot of reactions, but but rest reassured, I have seen a couple. This idea that I'm operating in the dark, that I've never seen a superhero movie, I have. I have. I I, I still stand by what I say. And if you're all worked up, why are you all worked up? You're the dominant paradigm. It's the same with Republicans. What are you all worked up for? You're the dominant paradigm. Enjoy it. Enjoy the upper hand. Thank you for the reaction. Uh, there was a lot of support from my point of view on uh, the sort of inundation of superhero movies, the inundation of the culture, the, the sort of weird infantilization of the adult mind. 
Uh, and I know some of you are like, hey, man, it's, I'm blowing off steam or I just enjoy it. It's, it's not taking up other stuff. It doesn't you know, make that big a difference. I watch other stuff, too. I think you're missing the point about the amount of money involved that goes into the movies, that then, that then is made, and that goes into plowing it into our brains and our unconscious and, and leaving us either uh, somewhat mentally paralyzed to make other choices. And I do think it has an effect, but also pushing out the choices. That was... That was that was my point, and a lot of people took it, and some people got worked up. But again, take it easy. Take it easy. It doesn't look like it's going to change. You can get all the little movies that you want to with The Flying Man. So that being said, I'm feeling a little under, under the weather. And you know why I'm gotten a little under the weather? Because my dad came in. He, yeah, it was yesterday, and my dad came into town today. He's sitting in my house right now with his wife, my dad. And uh, for some reason, when I get around my parents or I'm about to see my parents, my body just, uh, I don't know, it's just like it, it, it breaks down a little. I don't think that's supposed to happen. Does that happen to you? Do you get sick when your parents come? I think I talked about this when my mom came. But uh, I, I think I did experience a little bit what it's like to have uh, younger children uh, because I did something that is not really, I, I don't know that I would have done it otherwise. Oh, did I tell you about, uh, we jammed. We did the goddamn comedy jam, me and Dino, and uh, I got to play with uh, with Tal Wilkenfeld, who is a genius bass player and uh, and the, the regular band for the goddamn comedy jam. But me and Dean and Tal, uh, we did Down Payment Blues. No, we didn't. Sorry, we did Long Way to the Top. If you want to rock and roll from ACDC. And they had a horn section there, which we used for the bagpipe parts. And I, I got to tell you, man, I that is real fun. To be, I'm glad I know how to play guitar. I'm glad I'm okay at it. And I'm glad that like I'm doing this now, playing out, because that is the, one of the few times I experience real fun, like just exhausting fun playing live rock music. I get done and I'm like, dep- I get like a postpartum depression from the jam. Like I feel like bummed out when it's over. I love playing guitar loud in front of people. It's too late to shift, but it is okay to do it as a hobby. So don't, don't get panicky, folks. I'm not thinking about getting the band together. So oh, what I was saying before is that my dad's in the house. I didn't, you know, I just wanted him to be comfortable and sit there while I'm doing this before we go out and uh, look for some food or something. So they're both in there. And he's like, do you have a TV that works? I'm like, yes, I do. And uh, I'm like, what do you want to watch? And he's like, I don't know. I'm like, do you want to watch Fox News? He's like, I like to, no one else seems to like to, but I like to. And I just had that moment where you must have that moment when you have a child and you're about to give them the iPad with something that you find annoying, if not just like completely tormenting. Uh, But, you know, if it's going to keep the kid busy and distracted for a half hour, you suck it up. So that's what I did. That's what I did with my dad. I just set him up there in front of the TV with some Fox News, sucked it up and knew that, you know, he's not going to annoy me or cry for the next 40 minutes or so. But I'm, I'm copping to it. I'm copping to it. Okay. That's all I'm saying. All right. So this is exciting. Bob Newhart, who I love and respect a lot. Uh, has a new audio series exclusively on Audible. It's called Hi, Bob. Bob Newhart in conversation with famous friends. I actually wrote and recorded the foreword for the show. Uh, and the show features talks with people like Will Ferrell, Lisa Kudrow, uh, Sarah Silverman. So get that on Audible now. Start a free subscription if you don't have one already. 
And uh, this is me, you know, just uh, touching base with Bob on the phone a little while back about the show and about, you know, him and, you know, we'll think, we'll, we'll phone thing with Bob. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now. Now, wherever you get your podcasts, Newhart. Hi, Bob. Hi, Mark. So I haven't talked to you in a while, Bob. How are you feeling about everything? Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Considering I'm 88 and a half, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. So are you, are you going to be recording these uh, these episodes of Hi Bob for Audible up there at your house? You can have people over to the house. Uh, no, they're recorded already. Where'd you rec- and, uh, Where'd you record them? Uh, at the uh, at a hotel, the Bel Air Hotel. Oh, that's fancy. So you just rented a room and got some mics out and sat there in a in a in a suite. <laughs> no, in the bar actually. It, it was it was great. <laughs> the sound was great, and. Uh, and then we did a couple, Sarah Silverman we did in, in one of the rooms, and it's uh, it worked out great because it's very quiet, you know. And it's all, this all came from, um, I filled in for Johnny, you know, 79 times. Yeah. I was guest host for Johnny. So part of that was it was interviewing, uh, you know, the, the guests. And the night before, they'd hand you the notes and, and and you try to pick out the ones that you thought were going to lead somewhere, or that you and the and the person had some kind of contact with. And um, so I always enjoyed it. So this this came up uh, through Audible, and uh, you don't have to get on a plane, and uh, <laughs> and you don't have to sleep in a strange hotel room anymore. Uh-huh. And it's uh, and it, it it's interesting. It's just. It keeps the mind active, you know. Yeah, of course, uh, of mean, course. Yeah. I've been lucky so far. And those interviews you did on Carson, those were those were shorter interviews, I imagine, and you didn't have a lot of time to get in depth with people. And I, I assume that these interviews are a little longer and, and more of a conversation. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, you're you're exactly right. I, I tried to make them conversational, uh-huh. uh, as opposed to, um, and and then bring a unique kind of experience that I've had uh, almost 60 years of doing stand-up yeah, and, that, and talking to other stand-ups and, and how much different that world is now. We, last night, we went to the, uh, Jenny and I, my wife and I, went to uh, the improv <clears throat> because it was Billy Crystal's 70th, 70th birthday. Uh-huh. Well, improvs and, and comedy clubs, they, they weren't part of my life. Uh, 
And so I always found it interesting, like talking to Sarah. What is that world like? You yeah, know, it sounded it sounded terrible. I mean, it sounded like <laughs> a cattle call, and you, and you just you just all wait, and maybe you get five five minutes oh, at yeah. the very end if you're lucky, and uh, and and it, it's it's totally foreign to me. Right, the, I, the, the system is different because, as I recall from our conversation, uh, you know, you would put together your act, and and I, I think your story is is unique to you that uh, you would put this together your act in a vacuum, and and very quickly uh, were able to perform it uh, in in a nightclub, uh, and it just proved to be that uh, that you were you, you, every all the stars aligned and and everything worked out for that first record, and I guess that the the process of of becoming a comic was different uh, uh, even entirely different yeah the thing that people that i've talked to like young comics they'll say when you recorded that that comedy album that you know the button down mind of bob newhart you had never worked a nightclub before <laughs> yeah and i said no no i hadn't so yeah that's that's kind of different but as you learned from the get-go yeah you got to pretend like you know what you're doing because if you don't, it makes the audience nervous, and uh, so you got to summon all the bravado you have. Yeah, yeah. Are you going to bomb? Only thing I had going. I yeah. mean, if if I think if if that didn't work, it it would have been back to accounting or something. That's right, or back uh, back to advertising, right? Uh, whatever. So, yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, but I think that that experience, it seems to me, is a common experience. I think that, uh, you know, half of our job or if not more than half of our job is pretending like we're not scared. Oh, yeah, if, if not 90 percent. And, <laughs> and then I was playing these big places. I mean, I was playing the, the Hungry Eye and yeah. Crescendo in Los Angeles and the, and, and the Crescendo, especially in L.A., I mean, I was a major star. Was in the audience, they, you know, and they'd say, "Be sure and introduce uh, Groucho Marx." So yeah. Be sure to introduce. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And, and I'm trying to learn the business, you know, from uh, from the top down, not not from the bottom up, but from the top down, and and trying to act like I know what the hell I'm doing. Yeah, and you pulled it off. You did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there was one. T- I forget where I was. I think I, I think I was in Texas, uh-huh. and I came off. I had eighteen minutes, and I came off, and uh, the major d and they were applauding, and the major d said, "Go back out," and I said, "Well, that's all I have." <laughs> and they said, "Well, they're applauding. Go back out." So, not knowing that much about the business, yeah, I went back and I said, "Which one do you want to hear again?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's all I had. Did Did you actually do one again? <laughs> I did one again. Yeah, I forget which one it was. So when you, I, I guess on the series here, you talked to uh, you talked to Will Ferrell and uh, and Judd Apatow and Jimmy Kimmel and Sarah Silverman and some of them have done uh, you know they're 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 professional hosts and one's a professional comic actor one's a comedy producer one's a stand up comedy comedian by trade so what did you find was the, the commonalities that you had with them or that they had together what did you learn in talking to all these people the, the odd thing i i'll tell you what happened with Judd yeah uh, Judd Apatow yeah um we're talking and then he was asking me questions and we're talking, and I said, Judd, 
I'm trying to interview you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he said, uh, no, no, your life is more interesting than mine is. <laughs> you know, so so I, you have to get it back on track. You yeah. Know, it's, but it's, I believe me, I know. Well, you know, you know how you know how it is. I mean, you, you've done it. Yeah. Both you've done stand up, and and now uh, you know the podcast. Yeah. Well, yeah. Judd is a very humble guy, but clearly he's you know he's got a lot of uh, of experience. He probably just feels like he doesn't have as much life experience. Did you end up getting him to talk about himself? Uh, yeah, eventually. Yeah. <laughs> um, he at that point, he I think he was going back up into he was going back into stand up. Oh yeah, he did a good stand-up show. I liked his stand-up. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's now, on Don Cable, right? Yeah, it's, you know, it's on, interesting. It's, it's on Netflix. I, I, I mentioned last night we went to Billy Crystal's seventieth uh, uh-huh. birthday, and um, Billy and I. Uh, I was playing golf with uh, Tom Poston. And yeah, Billy. Uh, Billy was Tom's guest, so we're we're you know we're playing along, we're enjoying ourselves, having laughs, and. Uh, and I said, I said to Bill, I said, Billy, do, do you still do stand-up? And he said, uh, he said, yeah, I'm working on a project. I'm going to get back into it. I said, you know, Billy, uh, I think people who can make people laugh have an obligation to make people laugh. <laughs> yeah. there, there aren't that many. You know? I, I think that's true. I think that's true. You have to. It's a. It's a. It's a calling. It's a calling. A. a yeah, um, I hate to call it a gift. It, you're right. It's a calling, and and it, it's just great. I mean, it, it's. I still do. You know, I'll do this year maybe five stand-ups. Yeah, it feels and good. It's it's just a, a wonderful thing to be able to do to make people laugh. Yeah. And, you look and you, laughter is one of the great sounds of the world you know to, yeah. to me it is i think i think you're absolutely right and when you interviewed will ferrell like will ferrell is one of the funniest people who ever lived but a lot of times when you interview him he doesn't act funny at all what did, did he did he was he funny with you uh, yeah yeah w- yeah he was oh good he was but um, <laughs> you know we we had the experience of elf Oh, that's right. Yeah, uh, which which was a great uh, which was a great experience because I, when I was offered Elf, um, I read it and I I said to my wife, I said this, this is going to be a perennial. Yeah, and it it, it became a perennial. Yeah, it's but a I funny. could just see it every Christmas being played, and that's and I, that's what happened to it. It was just such a wonderful story, and I complimented him on his his role because very dangerous kind of role because it was very easy for him just to come off as a large guy who isn't very bright and doesn't realize that he's not, that he's an elf. Right. But he was able, you were pulling for him so much, he, he pulled that off. And that, and that wasn't easy because it was very dangerous. And the whole, the whole movie could have fallen apart if, if you did believe him. That's right. He's a very talented guy. He's a good actor. Very funny guy, too. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, Bob, I, I wish you nothing but uh, success with this thing, and it's a pleasure to talk to you again, and, and I'm excited for everybody to hear these conversations you had. Well, Mark, I'm embarrassed. I mean, we're talking on the phone. I mean, you had the president come to your place. But I came. We I went to your house. We had a nice conversation. I know you, you went to my house, <laughs> but you had the president... 
<laughs> yeah. Even though, I mean, he had a motorcade. I mean, there's, there's, yeah. there's yeah. a big advantage. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, when you can... have a motorcade to, you know... It it really knocks the hell out of the time. Yeah. Know? Well, I'll tell you what. Next time you and I talk, I'll have your motorcade pick you up and bring you over right. here. Okay? <laughs> okay. Thanks, Bob. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. That was nice, right? Talking to Bob? Uh, the show is uh, called uh, Hi, Bob. Bob Newhart in conversation with famous friends. Uh, you can get that at Audible. You can start a free subscription right now if you don't already have one. So, as some of you might remember, I went to see Hamilton in New York, and I had a great experience. I enjoyed the show, but at the end of the show, when they were walking off after their curtain call, Lin-Manuel knew exactly where I was sitting, and he looked at me and he said, Boomer lives. Very exciting. And I I think it was towards the end of uh, my next guest's run with that show. David Diggs was uh, one of the original cast members of Hamilton, which we talk about a bit. And uh, his new movie, Blind Spotting, which he stars in and co-wrote, opens in Select Cities tomorrow, uh, July 20th. And it's a, it's a really, uh, it's an intense but great movie. And, and I enjoyed it. It's a very personal movie. It's a small movie about real people. There's some great stuff in here about, about what it's like to grow up in Oakland, but also in approaching conversations about race a bit in a way that I hadn't really seen on screen and it just happens naturally and it's sort of a quick beat but it's an interesting twist but it's also a beautiful sort of uh sad bittersweet love letter to the city of oakland and it's also about class problems it's about gentrification but uh, but at the core of it it's about about a guy sort of coming into his own and about a about a friendship and uh and i was happy to talk to david about it so this is me and david diggs <laughs> I saw you in Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, did I meet you that night? I don't I think you ran out. I I might have, but you know when we met was Uh-oh. five years ago at the at the Sub Pop twenty five. You were headlining their comedy. Oh, with thing. Eugene and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, everybody. Yeah, and so my band clipping is on Sub Pop and we that we had just signed with them then. And yeah. We, we played that show, but we came to the comedy night beforehand, uh, and we all we all hung out and got drunk. Yeah. Did we? I I, I, I wasn't <laughs> drinking. I, I know that. I but I remember there was like was that the outdoor stuff? Like is it big was it? No, that was like a big, some big indoor space in Seattle. But yeah, the concert was well, outside. Yeah, like yeah, you, you, had, yeah. you went down and wandered around. There was exactly. like three or four stages. Yeah, yeah. And we're playing the 30 this year. That's the that's the reason I remember this is because we How just- How many records have you put out with Sub Pop? Uh four now really three or four yeah there's a 30 i didn't ask me to do the 30 i guess i didn't uh, i didn't do it both <laughs> i could have done but yeah i remember there was an outdoor area and i saw mud honey and i yeah, met yeah. jay mascus yeah yeah and uh yeah it was that was kind of fun yeah yeah man okay so I, you met me there yeah uh, yeah i'm sorry i didn't remember that's I all remember. right I don't remember people I met two weeks ago. I have the same problem. <laughs> so, you, so you came to that show. There was like five or five of us on there. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. The inside you, of the, me, yeah, Eugene, you and Eugene and John Cr- Benjamin, Kristen Shaw, crazy. Yes, I think so. So okay, so you were? Did you originally? Let's let's go back because I I love the movie. I thought it was really good, and and there's a really um a really great twist. In a way yeah. uh, that, like, it, or, or things were approached in a way that I'd never seen them approached before, right. which I'm sure people are saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah. And but what was the other guy's name? The other, Rafael Casal. And you grew up with that guy? Yeah, we went to high school together. Um, we started working together really after I got back from college. But. So you went to you've known him because there's something about you Oakland guys. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. There is that's a that's a true statement. Right? <laughs> it's true, right? Yeah, absolutely. I had Boots Riley in here the other day. Yeah, man. And uh, like him and Kamal go back. Like there's yeah. definitely a thing. That uh, holds you guys together. Yeah. It, did you did you grow up the whole time there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I was born in Oakland. Um, we met at, at Berkeley High School, and and Rafael grew up in Berkeley. And I've sort of always bounced between my my father has always lived in Oakland, and my mom was in Albany, El Cerrito, Richmond, sort of Albany, or, California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little little tiny town between. Um, and what? How would you get the? How how do you get a, the name David? Uh, it's Hebrew in my I case. Know. Yeah, yeah. My, but my, I've never uh, seen it spelled like that. That's just my parents not wanting people to fuck it up, but they do anyway. So yeah, it, it did. It didn't help. But yeah, they had uh, they had seven dogs, all with Hebrew names. By the time I came along, so I was just the next. The, yeah, oh, so you, there was there. My mother used to call animals before she'd get to me. She didn't know what name she was yeah, calling. Like, yeah, yeah. There was no real differentiation. Yeah, yeah. No, it was like uh, Mazizah, Delilah, Hamintash, and Shlomo. What was Kasha. The, who's the Jew? David, my mom. Uh, she must be really Jewy. <laughs> not, not even. But uh, I don't know. Maybe more so at the time. I don't know. I think. I think uh, culturally Jewish because those are all you know. Like, you know yeah, how that goes. Hamantasha. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, was she? Where's she from? Is she from the East Coast? Yeah, Jersey. She's from Jersey. I'm from Jersey. Oh yeah, she's from Haskell. Get the fuck out of here! Yeah. Stop it! Yeah. No. Real. Dude. <laughs> that is a little fucking town. Yeah, bro. And my grandfather owned a appliance store there. Oh, no way. And a hardware store. Oh, damn. My parent, my mom's from Pompton Lakes, which is like down the street. Yeah, yeah. It's, That's crazy. I mean, I've been to Haskell. I went to my mom's 35-year high school reunion. I was I was in college or something at the time. She, come on. Yeah, no yeah. one comes from Haskell. Yeah, it's I'm like it's, you. Like hill, <laughs> it's like hill people land. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, they were the Jewish family in Haskell. Well, that is crazy. Jack's Hardware and Jack's Appliances. Jack's Hardware. I'm going to tell my mom about it today. You got it. (laughs) That is so crazy. That that part of the, I didn't, like, because there's that little triangle there. There's Haskell, Butler, and Pompton Lakes. Mm -hmm. But Haskell, that's, I mean, I used to go there when I was a kid. It's it's rare what's happening. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what it means for us. I don't either, but there's something. <laughs> but <laughs> There's something happening in this basement so right see, now. <laughs> she's, a, she's a Jew from Haskell. Yeah. And she comes out to, to Berkeley for what? Uh, you know, the, the, thing? the 60s. Yeah, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. She hitchhiked across the country with her dog Beowulf. So like, how old is she? Like, how, where is she at? So she was in her late teens when yeah, she like came 18, out there? I think. So she did that that thing. I'm going to where yeah. the people are, yeah. are doing things. I think so. That's that's my understanding of it, yeah. That's crazy. And and she uh, and, and she met your dad when she was uh, young? A, a while later, she, she might have been, I don't know, in late 20s by then. She was, you know, she... She went to Europe for a spell. She was she was one of the first lighting designers of Berkeley Rep Theater in Berkeley, actually. Wow. Which is like way before they even moved into their space there. Now they were up on, on College Avenue in, in a thing that's now a little tiny movie theater. Was that but, something uh, she studied or just learned? No, I don't. Yeah, she just, you know, fell into it. Like, uh, yeah, in the hippie way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But she's always she's always loved theater. And then she went to, went to Europe and was like hanging lights for the... 
for the first European tour of Fiddler on the Roof with Zero Mustel and shit like that. Really? So, yeah, she's got crazy stories from that. She, um, let's get her in here. Uh, well, you should. That would be a much more interesting interview, I think, either of my parents. But yeah, they met um, my mom after after that was a DJ. It was like a club DJ. And uh, in the seventies, yeah, yeah, and uh, she was, she was, she used to have the basement of this bar called the Graduate that's still there. Yeah, uh, on college, and apparently, w- from what I understand, she like played the best black music in town. So black folks used to line up down the block to come <laughs> see my mom spin, and uh, and that's where her and my dad met. She was DJing in the basement of the Graduate. The basement of the Graduate. <laughs> and what what what'd your dad do? Is he uh, still around? He's still yeah, around? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, yeah, my dad um, uh, at the time sold drugs. I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Both, yeah, yeah. Bo- so both worked of them, out. that was like kind of their- he, she, he knew the DJ and he, he could sell drugs in the club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and did he move on to other businesses? Yes, yeah. After I came along, they both got out of the game. Um, oh, that's it, good. Uh, it, it became clear that that was, that was uh, not, not a, a particularly dangerous way to raise a kid in the 80s, I think. So right, they, uh, right. So, so they got out of it. When did they split up? Um, when I was young. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't remember them ever right. together, really. Oh, really? Yeah. And yeah. you have other siblings? Yeah, I have a little brother um, who's, I guess, technically a half-brother, different father, but my dad raised him, too. Uh-huh. So, yeah. So that's uh, so that's the backdrop, but you didn't you didn't grow up any with any Jewishness. I, other than I mean, I went names. to I went to Hebrew school. I went. I was this close to a bar mitzvah, you know. And really, then I, and then I dropped out. You pulled out. <laughs> I pulled out. out. I pulled out. I was I was going to bar mitzvahs, and I was like, I don't have any rich family. I don't know what I'm in yeah, this what's, for. Yeah, I don't know. What's <laughs> like, the payoff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to learn lines in another I'm language. Saying it was like a whole. <laughs> yeah, it's like this is really a whole thing. That I don't need. So to. when did you start performing? I mean, what was the what was the sort of like. The process of you, you know, getting involved with theater. I, I mean, I don't know. Was, was your mother always involved with theater throughout your life? I mean, was it something you grew up with? Not really. Um, but I, you know, she always loved it. And and but I, it was mostly music that I was around. Yeah. Um, but they. Um, I don't know. I I have this memory of being in fourth grade and like our teacher making us memorize poems and, yeah. and shit like that. Yeah. And I. Um, What'd you pick? I don't remember, but yeah. I, I remember. I remember everybody was memorizing essentially the same poem, and I decided one day that I was going to like act my poem out. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I was a very, very shy kid, so I don't yeah. know what possessed me to do this. But um, I just remember everybody laughed when I wanted them to laugh, and it was like <laughs> it was the only. All of a sudden, I was like, "Oh, this gives me a reason to be around people." You yeah, know? Like yeah. I, I'm a very. I was very shy. I still am, but I that getting that was those the, laughs. Yeah, and just yeah. being in a room and having a thing to say. Yeah, yeah. So I could be around people, but not have to like deal with being myself. You yeah. Know? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, if yeah. you're if you're like the, the entertainer, you know, that's, yeah. it's a it's a good position to be in. Yeah, yeah. Because you just get some laughs, you get out. Exactly. Exactly. And then eventually <laughs> you get a girl who sees through you, and then everything starts to go bad. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's all <laughs> it's all downhill from there. <laughs> in, in Oakland, like like in the the Oakland that you capture in the in the with the I think the film is really sort of like a, it's kind of a. A love letter to Oakland, in a way. Yeah, definitely. And and you know, it, it, of a passing time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I I don't know. Like, it seems like if if it is autobiographical to some degree, that the Oakland you grew up in is much different than the Oakland that's happening now. Yeah. And that, uh, but like, what was the what was the um, the sort of uh, community factor and, and slash danger factor of the world you grew up in? 
Yeah, well, I I think um, <laughs> a bunch of us who are who are from there sort of remember this moment. Maybe I don't know. It must have been eight, maybe nine, ten years ago at this point. But like the New York Times published this article, yeah, and Oakland was like number two or three on a list of top five places to visit in the country and we were like what are you possibly talking about and you read further into the article and ev- everything they mentioned was something that had popped up in the last year that none of us really knew anything about no, and that oh, was yeah. sort of this this kind of moment where we were like oh shit something something's yeah. about to go down right um but you know this is the same there's there's a, a kind of um rebranding that is happen that happens in all in all cities right sure and, happened uh, in my old neighborhood yeah yeah, yeah. and so there you know the the fir- the earliest thing i remember is changing the east 14th street has been changed to international avenue that happened more than a decade ago uh-huh um and that was this very intentional east 14th street had this connotation it was a very dangerous street it was very like oh really it, yeah it, it was a lot, mythic a lot of yeah a lot of shit went down on yeah. that street and and so they so they replaced all the street signs, International Avenue. And, and like that was this it. very intentional thing to sort of draw businesses to this to this street, and like you know, it's it's kind of like a major. It's just erase the name, erase the history, erase the name, course. erase everything, and that, and you see that happening all over the place, and you see new neighborhoods popping up. Like Temescal was not a neighborhood when I was growing up; that was sure. called North Oakland. And yeah. Now there's a part of downtown that's called Uptown. Things like that that yeah. start to be like, well. What what are you saying when you when you uh, when you erase a history that has existed in this place for that long and that we all grew up with and what are you placing the value on because we loved this place yeah and it certainly had problems and there's certainly things that are worth fixing but but in in an attempt to draw new people here instead of um helping to to sort of uplift and fix and and work with the communities that are there instead we pave over them right and pretend they never exist sure yeah and re and claim a new name for a thing that's what gentrification is and that's it's happening in every in every city but it's uh, yeah it feels particularly i think you know when you leave the place that you're from and then, and then you back. start coming back oh, periodically dude. and yeah. so you you don't feel the gradual change you just see these yeah, gaping like, holes in your history. Yeah, you know? where you're what, driving around going like, wasn't it right here? It was like, right here. I know it was right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It's the worst. It's a terrible feeling. But I mean, but I, I don't, I mean, there's that strange um, confrontation of old and new where, y- you know, the new people think they're improving something. And then the the people that have been there forever are like, no, you're, you're, you're plowing over. Yeah. yeah you, we can't afford to live here anymore is usually what happens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then where do people go? Are your folks still there? No, no. Both of them live in Richmond now, uh, which yeah. is, you know, north, yeah. for a, a little further north. Um, but, yeah, it's... Do you remember being dangerous when you grew up? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I was I was back and forth between... Um, so my, my mom was living in, in oh, Albany, places. California yeah. at the time, and then and my dad was always in Oakland. When I was young, we were in we were in North Oakland. I'm I'm 44th and MLK, and I remember not being able to hang out outside when the lights came on yeah. and stuff like that. But yeah. it never felt particularly dangerous. Right. You heard gunshots sometimes, but it was like well, yeah, you know, I didn't. You that's didn't, just California. That's just California. You, <laughs> I, I didn't feel like I was particularly in danger. And right. also, I think having having parents who were sort of in the game like that, they just you know. 
Right. We're, we're always you very can, open with me about like, this is a part of the city you don't go to without me. Like, this is in here and like, you know, a, you have family on C Street. Don't go there without us. Like, right. Like, right. That's not a, you know. Well, that's weird because like the, to have family who are street wise is that it's, it's almost a safer situation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just don't do dumb shit. So how did you get out to, uh, you know, you didn't, you didn't stay there for college. No, no. I went to, I went to Brown University. On a, to study what? What was the theater? I ended up being a, a very reluctant theater major. I think, but you uh, didn't do theater in high school. I did. I did theater all through high school. Um, yeah, and that was uh, that was it. You did. You, it was your focus. Uh, I did. I didn't. I I was not very focused. I did. I did plays every fall. I ran track. That was kind of the thing I loved. Um, you still run. I do not like I used to, but I, you know. Were you like long distance guy? No, no hurdler. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I can't. That's I a can't very sprint like that anymore. Specific skill. It was. It was. Yeah. I. Yeah. I actually. Ju- I, it's so funny. I just talked to my old track coach. Who's going to come to the premiere like, of the movie? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's both nice. Both coaches are coming. Both from high, from high school and college or no these are my my like pre-high school when i started running when i was like nine so these are my like early no early kidding. yeah i ran for the police athletic league in oakland and uh so my my like first track coaches are both coming to this premiere in oh oakland. that's sweet so these guys are life changer guys yeah totally totally and and, and it's interesting be I'm, I'm curious to see what they think of the film you know because it's a film that that deals with sort of community relationships to police and these are police officers who grew up being who I grew up as having as my track coaches who like when I was going to college literally went door to door to raise money to help me go and stuff really? like you know sent me off to college with like four or five thousand dollars that they had like got like hand to hand gone to collect like I mean a really just inc- incredible people who I who they, I grew up with. They looked up, they looked out for you, and yeah, they yeah. probably taught you some life lessons. Oh man, yeah. I mean, running, you know, running for them was was the and it was the only way I got to travel. You know, we used to I, I ran in the the like Junior Olympics every year. So like as a kid, I I got to go all over the country. I went to New Orleans for the first time when I was like. 12 or something you yeah know, yeah these things sort of with the team yeah yeah and like seattle and buffalo new york you know like yeah. <laughs> like places that i would never have gotten to see the only re- the only reason i ever got to to travel we didn't have money so it was just you know was this the, team, the team with these yeah. guys so who are these guys they're both cops yeah 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 one i they both claim they're retired, but they still they still coach track all the damn time. So right, so, right. You know, but one was a was a San Francisco sheriff, uh, Maurice Valentine, and then Margaret Dixon was the Oakland work was Oakland police. So you started running when you were in like like ten or yeah yeah nine years old I think. And you were like, were you uh, sort of um, a natural? Like, it, was it a no? Actually, so we I think just for a thing to do, my mom used to used to take me and and my my little brother to. Hershey's used to sponsor these track meets every year that yeah. you didn't, you weren't allowed to wear track spikes for. They were just for like community kids. They called tennis yeah. shoe track meets. Yeah, and uh, tennis shoe track. Yeah, meets? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you, she would take us to run in those. And I think Coach Dixon saw my brother run, who was much more naturally gifted. At Your this little than brother. I was. Yeah, yeah. And and she was trying to put together a relay team of young kids for kids in his age group. So she approached my mom and was was like, Hey, would you? like your son to come run with with our team and she said sure but you have to take my other one i'm not gonna this is child care you're not gonna leave me with one kid <laughs> what, what's the point yeah <laughs> so, 
So yeah. So that's that's why I started, and they must have tried me at everything until I was old enough to run hurdles, and which was like eleven or twelve. You can start running hurdles at shorter distances, but um, and that was sort of a cerebral enough race for me right. that I I could I could kind of I was re- I was a very good technician. So even though oh, so I maybe like, wasn't as comes. fast as right. some other kids, it's I w- not a straight line. I got to do those things. I would win over the hurdle. It's yeah. so like I, I, you know, and then and then I was able to get faster as I got older. But it was, so it that was, that's uh, that that's sort of a, a beautiful story, <laughs> you, you know, in terms of like uh, you know having you know the these adult influences in your life that are completely outside of the family operation. Yeah. So, you know, because I imagine it gives you a certain amount of self-confidence and a certain amount of uh, support. It's everything, man. I mean, having, you know, I've, I, um, some, I think to do, to be in, in the industry that we're in, right, yeah. you have, that has to happen for you somewhere from somebody, right? I mean, it's such a weird thing to sort of decide I'm going to do this. But I so. think it's, I also, yeah, and I think some of it in my case is compelled by uh, some other need that wasn't met Mm-hmm. you know parentally somehow like mm-hmm. you, you know to want to yeah, yeah yeah right you know to be and i don't admit it much <laughs> but it's sort of like you guys like me or what yeah, yeah. Like me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean it was it was the opposite for me i think like my my parents were always very much like go and we support you and we love you and i got you know i i, I lived a very blessed childhood i'd say all the time like i grew up Poor, but not sad. I was never. I don't remember ever being sad or ever being bored. Well, that's that, well. That's life, so. You know? They well. That's good. Well, I mean, I meant like um, my parents were not. Uh, they were supportive of what I did, but mm-hmm. they didn't like. They were detached from it. They yeah, were like, yeah. "He'll be all right." No, Thank no, you. yeah, <laughs> you yeah know I get what it. Uh, you know, it wasn't, and I don't know. I think I wished my parents were more detached sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so they were, so they were very attentive. You know, even moms you, for sure. You know, moms yeah. was because you know my mom after my brother was born, she she never finished. College. She did like half a year of college and then hitchhiked across the country. Right. So then, right uh, after my brother was born in her in her mid to late thirties, went back to school and went straight through and got her PhD. So the whole time I was growing up, she was in school. Oh, and yeah, what'd she get her PhD in? Social welfare. Oh, uh, yeah, and ended up running an organization called the Child Welfare Research Center out of UC Berkeley. Um, still around? It, it is still around. Yeah, it's still housed there. She's she's retired and and traveling lots. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's living it. She's living it. That's my, great. My dad just retired too. He's oh really? A, he was a bus driver. Oh many, yeah, many that's where yeah. he ended up. Muni, yeah, in San Francisco. Well, they get a good Fucking pension. Awful. It's it's fine. Um, yeah, they were trying to get him to stay longer, and I, I was basically like, "Get out! It's killing you!" Like, get oh, out! Oh yeah, he'd had enough. It was horrible. I mean, you know, it's just that driving a bus wreaks yeah. havoc on your body, and it, sure, man, and it's and emotionally, it wasn't good. That's a, it's a horrible company. He should have burnt it down, but. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <but. laughs> no, it's better he spends his uh, last years out of prison. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No burning down. <laughs> exactly. The no, you're right. You're right. <laughs> yeah. So, like, well, that that's sweet that these two uh, coaches are coming. They, they must yeah. be thrilled. I, I hope so. Yeah. Well, but were but were they like? I'm, is it the sort of thing where it's like we'd always knew you're going to do good, or, <laughs> or did, they, did they did they think that you were going to be an athlete? I don't know. I'm not sure what they, they were, thought. I think they, you know, what's what's. 
I think so amazing about folks who really dedicate their lives to working with kids that young. Yeah. Because it's not really about that. You give them the tools to be an athlete. And I was good eventually. I was good. I was, you know, by the time I finished, I even ran a little bit after college. Like, I thought maybe I could make the tri- the Olympic trials and stuff. Like, I was... Oh, really? So, you ran in college too? I ran all the way through college and, I, and then after college for a little bit. And then once I started having to balance, like, working a job and training, yeah, I was sure. like, oh, this is not sustainable for me. But... Um, what about those people that work with kids? They, you just... They're just, yeah, well, they're, they're, you know, it's not about that. It's about giving them the tools to be like successful humans, human, right? So right. I think That's they right, knew yeah. that I would be successful in whatever I tried to do. And if, if that was going to be athletics, cool. I had the tools for that. It was yeah. mostly about this is going to, we can get you into college with this. We, they're all kinds, you know, these sure. are all poor kids from Oakland, like was this whole team. So, yeah. we're, you know, it was, it was about really trying to give the, us as many sort of avenues for for success as possible. Thank God for those people. Oh huh? my God! So, um, did you go to college on a on a athletic scholarship? Uh, Ivy League schools don't give any merit based scholarships, so no. But I was recruited by the track team. Which uh, college? This is Brown University. Oh, in Rhode Island. Where is yeah. it? Yeah, Providence. Yeah, like that's a that's an arty school. It's an arty school. <laughs> <laughs> it's an arty school. But who I was. Were, who were some of the famous celebrity children that you went to Brown? <laughs> <with>? <laughs> <laughs> that's so real. <laughs> Lucy Devito. Shout out to <laughs> shout out to Lucy Devito, who's yeah. actually an incredible actor. Yeah. Um, oh, there and, you go. Uh, Ella Windsor. Uh-huh. Of the Windsor family. Oh, like, wow. Oh, yeah. The British Windsors? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's big. Yeah, we lived down the hall from each other freshman uh-huh. year. But uh, it is an artsy school, but you but you know, I'm coming there from Berkeley High School, so it right. felt incredibly uh, like right-wing to me. Oh, you know right, what I'm right, saying? Right, like, sure. <laughs> sure. Old, like, yeah. old-timey. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it's yeah, like, yeah. Oh, so conservative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, that's a, out of the Ivy Leagues. That's the groovy one. Yeah, yeah that's what they tell me. But uh, so, what did, did you just lock in? Was it uncomfortable for a couple of years? I mean, did you? you it was know, uncomfortable how... the whole time. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I I don't think as as ready as I I, I always I knew I was going to go to college. Right? We all, yeah. I was sort of in the car. I didn't know I would end up out there. But um, it was culturally uncomfortable. Even just even when you remove the the money from the situation, yeah, right? It right. was just West Coast East Coast thing, like. Biorhythmically, I, I was so different from everybody. Sure. Was, Who was throwing the bill? Uh, well, this is you know the 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 secret that they don't really tell you about Ivy League schools is they the, it would end up being cheaper for me to go there than to go to a state school. Really? Yeah. They they're need blind, so they they admit you, and then they look at your parents finances and that my mom had just declared bankruptcy at that time. Uh-huh. I think so. Like we had no nothing. Yeah. And so they made it. You know, I came out of there. Need uh, my, blind, it's yeah, called? yeah, yeah. So they they admit sliding you without scale? looking at your finances, uh-huh. and then they come back to you with a financial package. They right? do a sliding scale at Ivy League. School? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, um, and so, my, I came out of there with like twenty thousand dollars worth of loans, like nothing. You know what I'm saying for oh, wow. for that? And and did you pay them off. Yeah, yeah. yeah actually, good, my right? my dad did that. Oh, he did. He was like, I want to, I want to do this for you, and he took on the loan payments, and yeah. My parents are the shit, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and and it ended up being less less of a burden on my parents. And if I had gone to wow. UCLA or UC Berkeley or any of those places, I was also applying. So like, um, so it was 
my parents my parents did it my parents foot the yeah, bill but it was it was manageable it wasn't great. easy and there's was obviously no idea. my brother was still yeah i had no idea up, what's your brother end up what he end up doing he's a software engineer oh yeah my brother figured it out man he he um <laughs> he, he he just bounced he had he he, he was very different from me growing yeah. up like a, a lot sort of angrier than i was but after sort of getting beyond that in his in his mid 20s um taught him you know he 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 ended up getting a degree from ucla after after doing community college and stuff and um uh in political science and then came out of that and was like this is useless and i'm going to teach myself how to code and just taught himself how to how to code out of books and he's a, he's a genius. Him and my mom are both brilliant like that. That's and so great. They, um, so he's doing good. He became a software engineer. He got this great job working for a company in New York. Um, this is while I was out there doing Hamilton. Actually, he like moved to New York and was, oh, yeah. was there. And then he <laughs> he he worked there for a year. And he was up for review. They just knew he was going to ask for a whole bunch more money. And he came and was like, "You can pay me exactly what you pay me right now. I just never want to have to come in here." <laughs> And they were like, okay. And he left and he's been living all over the damn world for the last like year and a half, With just bouncing job. from country to country, waking up, coding in the morning, doing whatever they need and just like oh, traveling that's, the world. That's but the way to do it. Unbelievable. <laughs> I, saw, I haven't seen him in a year and a half, but every time I talk, I think he's living in Paris at the moment. Oh, like, wow. On, bro. Yeah, man. <laughs> that's great. He figured it out. He figured it out. So the So in high school, you did a little bit of theater. And, yeah. but, but a lot of athletics and then at Brown you decided that did you were do they not declare a major for the first year or did you just kind of like feel it out or you I just, just looked around and had finished the theater major or well, concentration what they call it at uh-huh. Brown they don't they don't trust us to major in anything so. and did what what did you find anything like um did you lock in with a teacher did you like I mean or the coach or like what was going on there that yeah. that grabbed your focus because I mean you know you're great on stage, and you can do a lot of different things up there. So, mm-hmm. like, what was uh, what'd you learn at Brown? Yeah, well, I think I, I mean a, a lot of things. The the theater program there is actually interest. It's it's good because every teacher sort of champions a different theory. Oh yeah, um, and all all theory is garbage. But like, you learn a bunch of different ways of of doing looking at things of looking at things, and then. And then you make your own craft. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I really, I did a lot of shows there with with um, a theater called Rights and Reason Theater that's uh, also, it's within the Africana Studies Department there. Yeah. It's one of the oldest black theaters in the country. At Brown? At Brown. Uh-huh. Um, and it's, yeah, and so Elmo Terry Morgan, who's the artistic director there, sort of, I wandered in off the street into an audition and he cast me in a thing when I was, you know, this is a month after being there. Oh, really? And, uh and so that sort of became my home there in a lot of ways. And they let me, you know, my senior year, I, I wrote this, I, I wrote this like rap musical based on Gene Toomer's Kane that they produced for me there and gave me like rehearsal space with a band and all this, you know, I, college is full of resources that are wasted on on right, 19 year olds right like sure. what, I didn't understand how rare this shit was that they were right. giving me and it would be years and years again before anybody would give me those kinds of opportunities right? oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah right sure but uh, but at the time like uh, like as the, the like one of the oldest black theater companies I mean what was what was the type of shows you were doing? What was the the sort of a uh, uh, manifesto of the of the of the? It of was. The I mean, it's it's all. So they they work. They do this thing called research to performance method. So a lot of a, a lot of the shows that go up there are sort of graduate student thesis 
project. Uh-huh. They, they do some area of research and create a piece of theater out of that. Oh, that's interesting. And so there was, there was a lot of that kind of stuff going on there. But then they also bring in guest artists to develop work there. So I got to work with Ensozaki Shange doing a, an adaptation of, of Lily Ann that she was adapting for the stage that just, you know, to get to work with an artist like that, like... I don't know her. her, her she wrote for Color Girls. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Mind-blowing? Mind-blowing. Um, yeah. Just to get to spend time around around that. And some of the directors that they had working with them, this one, Marsha Z. West, who who passed away a few years ago, but um, who I got to work with quite a bit there. Just I- incredible artists who, it's it's weird that this thing is like sort of hidden away at Brown University and in, in, in Providence, but it's it's kind of, I don't know, the, the experiences I got through that were amazing. And then, Does it have an audience when you do shows? Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah folks come. I mean, that that is a good thing about colleges too. Is there's kind of a built-in sure. audience for yeah, things, right? Right, right. Um, and there's also, and I, you know, um, Oscar Eustace, who's the he's the artistic director of the public theater now. But at that time, he was teaching at Brown, and I took his modern American drama class there. That also sort of changed my life because I didn't I didn't care about any sort of like standard plays that, yeah. that wasn't my thing. Um, but he taught them in a way that all of a sudden I was like, oh, this shit's interesting he, everything about him was was um about historical context uh-huh. why was this what does it mean that this play is written now? oh so you're able to put it into perspective yeah and so all of a sudden i i started thinking about things differently. he also like helped to, you know he was tony kushner's dramaturg for angels in america like oh, he, wow. you know the oscar's the real deal and then we reconnected years later at the public actually one of my mentors um an incredible artist named mark bamuti joseph had had put me in a show of his called word becomes flesh it was touring around and it did a, a little stint at the public i reconnected with oscar then and then of course hamilton ended up being developed there too so wow. it, was, it was crazy to sort of come back around and 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 be you know working with this with this guy who was my this sort of pivotal professor for me when I was what's, it, what's interesting to me that like there is like this this very you know an intense sort of uh community of brilliant people in black theater yeah oh yeah. so and and that you were sort of involved with that and it it operates in a world like in, well not that i know much about theater in general but you know, I don't know all the names that you said, and I'm sure you, you're mentioning them here. And some people are like, oh, "Of course," I, or Jeez. not. I mean, that's the, that's the funny. Th- well, that's the thing about theater in general, yeah, right? right? If we're not talking about Hamilton, yeah. like nobody knows shit about any of it. So, it's like, well, I mean, <laughs> I, I had to learn. You know, like you know, you got to go. I mean, it's it's a life. You got to go, but it's like anything, right? I mean, we all sort of. Even even Hollywood, right? Like right, it's yeah. actually kind of a niche thing. Like who the I mean, yeah. those movies have have this kind of output that that allow like a yeah. lot of people see them. But sure. Like, oh yeah. In reality, course. like it's a small, it's a relatively small community, well, and like stand up, you know what I'm saying? Like I, yeah, it's bigger than you know, it's bigger than it used to be because yeah. of the number of outlets that are yeah, available yeah. to put content out or perform in. Right. So it's not as intimate as it was, but there are communities within the communities right. now. Is sort of what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like when you say somebody was your mentor, what was the name of that? Uh, uh, Mark Bamuti Joseph, who now, is uh, he founded this organization called Youth Speaks that yeah. Raphael and I both. Came Came up through in in when we were kids in high school that teaches like spoken word to the to guy kids. you wrote with yeah 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 that te- teaches spoken word to to high school age kids teenagers okay. and so that was that was really what got me started writing was was through this this kind of spoken word community so you were doing spoken word poetry and rap yeah yeah I started rapping and and writing stuff like that around you know when I was fourteen or something and 
and uh, but clipping came along many years later. Even though one of the band members, uh, William Hudson, who I, I think was standing next to you when we were watching Mud Honey at that, because he remembers that very well. Wow! At Sub Pop Twenty Five, but he. Uh, he, him, and I—he's been one of my best friends since we were in third grade. We met in third grade. And oh now, man! Now we're in this band together. Uh, yeah, which is which is a trip. But yeah, uh, yeah, this weirdo rap music band. But was that? I mean, was that the original dream? Was the? Yeah, I mean, look, if I, they just grow alongside of each other. Yeah, I've always been doing all of those right. things. But when I when I just for me when I started rapping, I'm 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 better at that than I am at writing anything else. So I've I've been doing that for a, for a long time, and that's sort of the, and it's integrated into the film. Yeah, and that was you know that kind of language, heightened language is was a was one of the reasons we wrote the film. So you're doing like you're doing the theater at Brown, and then like what gets you to New York? I mean, I, I mean, it sounds like some of the stuff you were working on was, you know, working with the uh, uh, big directors who were working through stuff, experimental stuff, yeah, doing all kinds of stuff. I. I didn't move to New York until right before Hamilton. I, that's not really true. I tried. You stayed in Providence? No. No, I came back home to Oakland. Oh. But after, yeah, right after college, I moved back home. But there was one, I, there was like a nine month period I tried to move to New York and I was just, you know, sleeping on friends' couches and then riding the subway all night. Right. And, and, you know, right. But you. Doing the thing. But then. Um, but so you go back and you hang out with Raphael, Raphael and, you, and, and you hang yeah, around with we're the band rap guys. Songs and we're, you know, is Raphael in uh... clipping? No, no, no. This uh, this is sort of pre-clipping. We okay. have a, we have a project called the Get Back. Okay, um, way back then, and we you and Raphael. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we start making rap songs together and and sort of become collaborators in all things. But are you we, recording them? Are you like on the street yeah. handing out CDs? For no, $3 no, we're, or... we're recording. This is like sort of early. Our first, our first, our first sort of mixtape we put out is still kind of pre. I don't think Bandcamp existed or anything at uh-huh. that time. So we're, you know, it was like a. a a digital download that you had to have the link for, so we just sent it to friends. Or right. There's nowhere to host that shit. Yeah, really. yeah. Um, it, so there are a few projects that are like floating around the internet from those early days. Uh-huh. Uh, and um, and we would like we you know we did everything ourselves. We shot music videos ourselves. We and we would play concerts. You know, we could in the Bay we could we could play pretty consistently for 500 people. You know. We, yeah, yeah. Did you know uh, Boots? Up there, I you know what's I I grew up loving the coup and and uh, I went to tons of of coup concerts and a whole bunch of parties that Pam the Functionist rest in peace DJ their their DJ, but um, Boots I actually one time sat in and the Boots used to teach these poetry workshops at La Pena uh-huh. at a at a sort of famous cultural center in Berkeley and I, I I one time sort of sat in the back and didn't say anything I was like way too shy and nervous but like while he was teaching one of these workshops when you were in high school yeah. And, uh, yeah, so it was, it was crazy to be at Sundance together and to get to sort of tell him that story when we both have movies, mm-hmm. uh, premiering at Sundance, you know? That oh, that's nice. It was a trip. It's a, but it's so weird. The more you talk about like the things that were, you did as you were growing up and then there was a real tight functioning community. Yeah, it is. And, it's, and, and, uh, it's wild. It is. Yeah. No, there, because so much of the movie is sort of about, you know, what happens to that. Yeah. So okay, so you come back, you hang out, and then what gets you to New York? I Raphael and I moved to Los Angeles actually in 2012. Uh-huh. Um, but before that, when I was when I was still in the Bay, I was I was substitute teaching. That was one of my things, and um, and through 
What subjects? Anything? Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Sub, you just right. sub whatever. And then I was also developing um, sort of rap curriculum for like middle school kids. I got, what does that mean? I, uh, I got this grant, this place called the Marsh Youth Theater wrote, like got grants to sort of pay me to go into San Francisco and Oakland middle schools. Yeah. And I would work with their English and, and social studies teachers and sort of figure out what their what they were teaching and then come in once a week or every other week and just do sort of rap workshops with the kids, but that were sort of focused on the the kinds of books they were reading or oh, the wow. kinds of periods of history. So I'd bring in poets that had something to do with the thing. We'd sort of study those, then I'd get them to write and perform their own shit. So you were like, you know, by some like uh, strange uh, uh, mystical coincidence, you were you were the only guy that could have done Thomas Jefferson <laughs> in Hamilton. Well, here's the crazy shit is the reason. <laughs> so the reason that happened is I'm, I'm substitute teaching and due to a clerical error, I am like to, I am called to substitute teach the same class with another sub, which is uh-huh. not supposed to happen. Right. This was like some some. And this is here. Accident. This is in in the in L. A. or this in, is in the Bay. This okay. is uh, this is in Marin City. Okay. actually. And we sort of team teach this class, and as part, you know, you're. I think these were fourth graders or something. When yeah. you're doing a fourth, you just come up with anything to keep sure. them entertained for <laughs> ten minutes. So we're like, we start freestyling with them at some point. We yeah. both had this this weird skill set for a substitute teacher to have. Uh-huh. And I ended up giving him a ride home. He's like, we're talking. We were like, he's another, he's an actor in the Bay Area. His name is Anthony Veneziali. And I'm giving him a ride home to San yeah. Francisco. We're talking. He says, oh, you got to, I'm, I'm part of this group, Freestyle Love Supreme, with this cat, Lin-Manuel Miranda, and all this stuff. Oh, you got to meet all these people. They're in New York, but we'll introduce you at some point. And then he ended up starting this group that was sort of a sister group to Freestyle Love Supreme called yeah. The Freeze out on the West Coast. Uh-huh. And then... Tommy Kale and Lynn would sort of call me in because this is while um, In the Heights is going on on Broadway. Right. In the Heights had transferred. Now, Freestyle Love was doing monthly shows at the time, but a lot of their members were working on Broadway, so they needed to bring in new people. So when uh-huh. they couldn't fill shows, they would fly me over from, from California and have me do these freestyle shows with them. So that's how I met Lynn was th- due to this cleric, me- like working with a, a good friend of his, like... So freestyle show. So there's a freestyle community. What is a freestyle show for for me, the guy? Well, who's... so freestyle of Supreme is this thing is sort of like a, it, it, it's an improv show, but everything's in verse, right? Okay, so yeah. a lot of a lot of games, right? That are structured games that are based on audience suggestion and, oh, okay. and storytelling, but everything there's either a beatbox or on the West Coast we did it with a full band, uh-huh. and and you sort of play these games that are just like improv games, and you oh, try right. to tell story, but always always in verse. Um, so you're doing these in New York when they need to fill uh, doing those in New York and that's how I meet Lynn and Tommy who are the, the you know and all the all the squad who ended up creating Hamilton uh, and and so that's that's really what brought me out to New York I was still I was living in LA I had moved to LA and they and to be we, an actor yeah to be an actor and then realized that that was not gonna work out so I was just a musician that's when we started clipping and oh I, okay so I, it got uh, grim down here and you're like we gotta do something ooh we yeah I, I uh, didn't have a way in I didn't have a way in I I landed a commercial agent and did one like McDonald's commercial one time which was sort of like the so pinnacle the of heartbreak my career. begins yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. but I was also like, you know I was never the type to sort of wait around for things right. and there's so much waiting in this town so I was yeah. like alright this isn't the thing yeah cause you're busy you 
do you know me and yeah. my friends started sure. a band we went on tour and that was that was the hype so i'm touring with that band i'm touring with bamuti's where it becomes flesh project and i'm touring with freestyle of supreme when they need people and so i'm i'm only making money on the road and then i come back to la and i'm broke you know but, but uh, you get but that that stage experience turns out to be important absolutely i mean putting those hours in yeah right? yeah for sure so and, you were there at the beginning of him creating Hamilton. Yeah, pretty early on. I mean, that he had done sort of a, a performance of a couple songs at Lincoln Center uh-huh. um, before before they approached me. Yeah, and then we were all doing a show in New Orleans on ESPN, rapping about like freestyling about sports celebrities for the Super Bowl when it was in New Orleans. <laughs> they would like they would invite. Oh yeah, you the, know the so anchors Jerry like, Rice up, and then yeah. we do a weird so like wrapped. This is your life about Jerry Rice, right? <laughs> and Tommy approaches me, says, "Hey, Lynn's written this new musical. This is like a rap musical about Alexander Hamilton." I was like, "It's a terrible idea." He was like, "Yeah, do you want to come like do a reading of it?" I say, "Yeah, are you gonna pay me?" He was like, "Yes, that's great." And so they, you know, I went up to Vassar, and Lynn had just written sort of Jefferson's first song in the second act. He'd yeah. written these cabinet battles and he had this new fast rap for Lafayette. He needed a rap ringer, basically. Right. They had five days to get this thing on it. You play Jefferson and Lafayette, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they had a very short time and some fairly complicated raps and they knew I could do that. So right. they brought me up to do that and yeah. I just went up to them afterwards and I was like... This is way better than I thought it was going to be, and uh, <laughs> whatever you need, man, just call me. I don't know what it is, but I have a really good time doing it, and and I didn't, you know. And then when they went off, and they kept calling me, and I was sort of like, they had so many Broadway friends. I I knew that if it, I sort of just knew if it got to Broadway, they would replace me at sure. some point, but they didn't. They kept calling He's me. a loyal guy. Loyal guy and their friend, you know. I mean, that's and you're good. The other thing, you just you work with your friends, man. Like we had known each other for ten years at that point. So you and Lynn, yeah. And just that, I I was in Hamilton, which was a totally life changing, career changing event for me, because my friend asked me to come to a reading of his play. You know, I tell that shit to kids all the time who are like trying to figure out like logic their way into this business and it's like that's not it do the thing you love with the people you love that's true man you know it's like it's weird because everyone's looking for that lucky break but a lot of times it's you know you put your work in and you know a guy or or you know someone knows of you because of the work you put in and 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 they're like try this yeah here you go here's your life exactly yeah yeah (laughs) here's your life so like i i mean could you like i did any of you have any idea you know going into hamilton when when did you feel it starting to become a thing it must have been just been like holy shit yeah i didn't really until we were like uh, open on broadway even i you know doing a Making a play is is difficult work, and yeah. it's and you, and it's so you're so focused on it, especially right. it's something that's in development. You know, yeah. so your lines are being changed every day. You're sort of in there yeah. just trying to trying to figure out how to tell this story with a bits. This incredibly collaborative. Yeah, it's great. You know, thanks. So, you uh, we were so protected from all of the noise of it. I yeah. imagine like the producers smelled money, but like we were, we weren't uh, we were really protected from all that. So. Yeah. It was just grinding and working, really, until we were sort of comfort for me. Until we were sort of comfort comfortably running on Broadway, and I'm sort of looking around and like, 
you know the Obamas are back. Like at the, you know what I'm saying? Like when you when you meet the Obamas for the second time at your show, it's like oh maybe this is a thing. (laughs) Right? Um, Yeah, and and just uh, like they're just packed houses, and everybody's crazy for it. It's a crazy thing, particularly if you've grown up doing theater. Like this is how plays work: is you do you work really hard. The work is always the same. So you work really hard. You do you produce something with a group of people that you're incredibly proud of yeah and nobody cares right and then you repeat like, right that's that's and, how then, and then very few people get the rare opportunity to produce something with people they like to work with and it changes the the culture yeah yeah and so <laughs> yeah it was this total crazy moment where all of a sudden people are looking at a at a play in this what you're saying and like to have a a broadway soundtrack that's quintuple platinum or whatever it is at this point kids are singing it kids are singing it (laughs) I did this um, (laughs) I did this this and you're on the soundtrack it's all the original cast yeah yeah. yeah, it's great I did this We Day uh, event a couple years ago this is like an anti-bullying sort of organization Uh they do these these great things where they sort of have schools commit to doing these anti-bullying campaigns and then they they invite a bunch of kids to, to big sort of yeah, events where a bunch of celebrities come out and and speak to them and perform and stuff like that. So they asked me to do one in in Los Angeles, and they had this this thing set up. I can't even remember who I was. Justin Baldoni, I think I was there with uh, from Jane the Virgin. Oh yeah, like, I can't remember who else was on it, but they yeah. had this thing set up where the lights are off and yeah. we're all telling stories about about times when we fell out of place or whatever, you know? And then the lights come on and everybody's like, oh, it's whoever, and all yeah, of the kids yeah. are supposed to scream, you know? But when it got to me, as soon as I opened my mouth, all the kids started screaming because more people know my voice than know what I look like. So, wow. <laughs> so like, they recognized my voice immediately and we're just, I was like, oh, this is not the right. That's crazy. How old the right are these kids? kids? These are all like... Middle school age, I think. They so, love the show. They love the show, which I don't think any of us were gunning for. <laughs> we were making it's so sweet. It's amazing. So now, like, how many years did you do it? Uh, ab- about two. Yeah, like if you count downtown. I mean, and many more before that in development, but that was sporadic coming in. For but a on while, Broadway, two years. A year, a year, and a little bit on Broadway, and and roughly seven or eight months downtown. So. Uh huh. It's funny when I go. I've seen almost every cast do it sure. since me, and like, like it's it's not a thing I recognize as a thing I did. It's just a good show, right? Well, that's the interesting thing about the you know the the I think the the kind of foundational point of the show is that you know anybody can play. You know that the the diversity of right. of making these characters accessible right exactly. is 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 sort of the uh, the beauty of it in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. So so now you and. Throughout the years, you and Raphael, how do you say his last name? Casal. Casal, yeah, yeah. You kind of are playing with this story that becomes blind spotting. Yeah, yeah. We're we're grinding away at this with and um and working on a bunch of other things and making music and and doing like web series and doing you know all all kinds well, of just yeah. stuff that that you that you. How do. many albums does uh, Clipping have out? Clipping has ooh, four. Mm-hmm. Four out. Yeah, and an EP, and we're working on our another one. But you know what's interesting about about these times is we could clipping could play 
you know, a, a 400 cap venue anywhere in the world, which yeah. is crazy. Like we've toured all over the world with this project. Oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, international audience. Trip. Even if it's 400, you can go. Yeah, it, it makes it worthwhile to go. Yeah, yeah. and that, that's incredible. So it was really through that, through touring. I didn't, I had never got to travel outside of the U.S. before either until I started doing that with clipping. So we, yeah, you, the, the track team got you around the U.S. Yeah, yeah but, exactly. You know, internationally, I had to rap for that. It was giving up track a different, a difficult thing? Oh yeah. Yeah, I miss it. That's I still miss it every day. Because like you said, you ran a bit after you did it after. Yeah, college. I tried and just just couldn't. I I couldn't keep as as regimented a schedule as I would need to when I also had to work and when mm. I was you know so and eating right you know. Oh yeah, kind of, like yeah. it's the whole thing. So there was sort of a heartbreak of letting that go. Oh yeah, and I still you know I mean being an athlete who's even anywhere near an elite athlete right yeah. is like having a superpower. Right, like you just feel different than other people. You know, you I, I, like everyone's like going to the gym to lose weight, and I was like, you know what I'm saying? Like I feel like I'm yeah. going to the gym to to work on my fucking superpower. Right. Like, <laughs> um, yeah. And now I go to the gym because I'm vain. Like you know sure, say, like I go to the gym to, yeah. because I look in the mirror and I'm like, "You're gross." Man. Yeah, just go do something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And do you like? Uh, so, but you've, you're at peace with it now, obviously. I'm working the windows. On it. The windows closed. Like I wouldn't. I probably couldn't do it anymore anyway. But still, it never leaves you, man. I still sort of. Every time I drive past a track, you yeah. know, I'm oh, like, really? yeah. I should get out I, there. Yeah. Where are my Where are my spikes at? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pull over. I got it. So, so okay. So you're doing all this other stuff, but the the, the story evolves. You, you know, you you know, when did you first outline blind spotting? This is like well before any of this. This is 2009. So you um, had the, the you had the crux of the story. Yeah. So you know, our we've been working with the same producers the whole time. Jesse yeah. Keith Calder, who approached Raphael, actually going through like a, a poetry wormhole, YouTube poetry wormhole. He's a uh, he's, he's a, a poet. poet. Guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, he's good. He's good with the with he's, the he's, uh, he's with good their... with the words there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, so they found him and sort of approached him about, would you like to do a movie that uses verse in this sort of way? They had just done a film called The whackness um so them to so it was a concert uh, a concept film was sort of what they were interested kind of they were like well we don't know what this is but the the way that you work is interesting eventually they introduced rafa introduced them to me um actually another obama connection at obama's first inauguration i they were showing a a screening of a film they had done there Uh needed someone to do a performance and rafa couldn't make it so i went anyway they were they were you know, said, "Oh, let's the four of us should work on this." So we decided, "Great, we're going to work on this." It's a it's a piece that uses heightened language in some way. We'll figure that out. Yeah, it's going to be about Oakland because that we want to tell that story, and it's going to star the two of us because no one else is going to do that. So, right. <laughs> so those those were the constraints. And then right around that time, Oscar Grant is murdered at, at Fruitvale Bar Station, um, which for Oakland was a was a huge. Thing, the the whole city, you know, and it was a different point in the in the way we discussed these police shootings. Um, it was sort of early on in those types of things being reported. Yeah. And so I think there was this fantasy that if we yelled loud enough and if we protested enough, they would change. Because right. At least they were being publicized. And ultimately, that's not what happened. But we were out there, you know, yeah. and Oscar's face was everywhere on T-shirts and, on, yeah. and, you know, and everybody knew his name and the news is covering it all the time there's riots you know i mean right it got ugly um and i think so w- when we're deciding to tell a story about oakland this is 
inherently part of the story. So we had our sort of instigating incident, which is, right. you know, one of a, a police shooting like this one is going to happen. The biggest change in the script between then and now is is actually about how the community responds to that, right? Because at that time it was it was so present and Oscar in particular was so present. And now I think we culturally, all of us have reached kind of a, a fatigue with that where you sort of watch the news, you see one of these things and then they start talking about the, the victim. Uh-huh. And if they have a criminal record, that's it, right? Like right. we can't get out of bed for that person. Like I can't take the heartbreak of, if it's not a perfect victim, that's right. not worth a protest. Right. You know, like, yeah, yeah. we can't, that's not, it, so you know, we get we're at this point now where it feels like there's just a, a sort of pile of incidents and bodies and and names that we can't even you know where was Tamir and was he strangled or what city was that you know like yeah um, so you just got a bunch of black bodies and a bunch of names and a bunch of hor- horrific atrocities committed by law enforcement and we and we don't know what to do with that and so in the film. Colin, my character, is the only person who can be really affected by it because he happens to witness it. He's right there. But none of the rest of his community is particularly affected by it. So we we get to watch Colin's yeah, PTSD. Yeah, it just becomes another uh, news story right, that exactly. passes by. And you and your character's haunted by it. Yeah. And then, uh, and, but what I, I, you know, as, you know, the instigating piece, it was always there. But I mean, what I found also was going, aside from you wrestling with the trauma and your conscience about what you should do in in light of that and your own probation, which we don't find out why (laughs) you're on probation until well into the movie, which I thought was great. You know, because the weird thing is, is this sort of sort of you do you kind of accept it just sort of like, what do you do? Yeah. yeah. But it doesn't bother you. Well, you're in love with Colin at that point. Hopefully, like that's what we want. You know, that's why we saved it to that. Give you you enough empathy for this guy to be like, well, you fucked up. So there's other things going on. There are these levels of you handling probation, of you handling, you know, a relationship that went bad because mm-hmm. of what you did and then this friendship with this a white guy you know who you know is is somebody you grew up with mm. uh and you know then the the sort of loyalty to each other and also to the town you right. know to oakland like there's a lot of good a lot of stories that you kind of string through this thing yeah. successfully that's, that's good to hear yeah <laughs> because i don't think it's easy the idea of like how a white guy who grows up in the neighborhood overcompensates mm-hmm. in in ways by acting more sort of stereotypically yeah. gangster or black than than yeah well, i think for him away. for him it's certainly not about blackness but it's about uh, you got to imagine right for for miles who's likely the only maybe the only if not certainly one of the only white kids in the in the neighborhood he grew up in yeah that that kid has to prove themselves every day right right so like and you and that's that's just sort of i think a l- real like man shit right like you like that person's going out flexing all the time well, and yeah, it's always going to be the hardest one is always going to be the 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 first one to jump into some shit because you you know your his stripes are always being tested well, yeah there's an so. intensity to those white dudes yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and was so, he that guy who Raphael? Yeah, N- no, but that's there. Right. I mean, Raphael was uh, Raphael did grow up, you know, at, with mostly black and in mostly black and brown communities. Yeah. Like that was, that's that's true to Raphael, right. and and I think both of us discovered art early on, yeah. and that that 
gives you a way to sort of intellectualize things sure, differently. But he, right, but yeah. he certainly has those tendencies, and he was certainly, you know, getting into trouble differently as sure. a, as a youngster than than I was. You know, like yeah. I was an easy kid. But um, yeah, I think having there's when you're when you're in cities like Oakland right uh-huh. now you know there is there's a tension in the air there like you can yeah, feel I, it and here too you know walk around downtown like there's a tension well in the I felt air. it like like when I moved down the street to Highland Park which was a Latino yeah. neighborhood yeah. like you know I had no intent of anything mm-hmm. right like I you know I found I never bought a house before I was out there by coincidence and I found a little house, yeah. right? So over time, you know, I lived there for like 14, 15 years. Is that right? Uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah. 13, 14 years. And, and it gentrified. Yeah. And, you know, and I felt, I didn't feel great about it. Yeah. Again, because it was sort of like, you know, people were hanging it on me. You right, know, like, cause, right, Because right. I was working from my garage. I was saying Highland Park. And, and, you know, and now it's sort of like really in it. Yeah. And you feel that tension. Yeah. And there was part of me that sort of like, I didn't, I didn't want this. I didn't right. know that it would happen. You know, I didn't believe it would happen. I didn't need it to happen. And now I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, the, look, every, I've been a gentrifier every place I've gone since I left Oakland, right? I mean, yeah. that's just the nature of it. I'm, when I when I lived in New York, I moved to Washington Heights. And I was, you know, and that's a neighborhood. And I didn't know, same thing. Like, I could afford, on my off-Broadway contract, yeah. I could afford a place there. So, right. like, that's where I moved. Right. And I was like, oh, great. It's dope up here. Yeah. You know? And it turns out, the- yeah, it is dope up here. And, right. like, everybody's trying to move there now. Yeah. And that's, and so... It's gentrification is such a complicated issue, right? Yeah, but yeah, I like that the, you were able to really sort of because of the Bay Area, the nature of it, yeah. that there is a type of person with a lot of money who yeah. is young and white and in the tech industry, yeah. And it's very like you know, there's your guy, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like we 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 know what that is, and then to have to have Miles's character be have that being put on him much like that's oh, being yeah. put on you in Highland Park right like right. to have to, for someone to be like wait 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 yeah of course he's gonna double down you know sure, like, sure. but he really grew up there I yeah. was just a guy who happened to move there right right <laughs> you know, but <laughs> but, uh, but it, it didn't it didn't feel good right but and also those people you know the way that guy the way you guys wrote him to just sort of like uh, glibly appropriating yeah, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that two, the tattoo business which I wrote yeah. ruined was great yeah, and yeah. same with the oak tree thing I mean that yo so here's some crazy shit about that oak tree thing so it, it, we have this this bit in the in the film where where there's and I'll just ruin this one where there's a there's a tree stump in the that's being used as a coffee table in this yeah. in this guy's house in this new you know uh Pandora execs house yeah. that uh, that is made out of a cut down oak tree and he knows a ton of history about the oak tree knows how many rings are on it and shit um, from Oakland yeah yeah, yeah it's an original Oakland oak tree stump yeah. Um, and, uh, but when that house that we were shooting in, we go in there to, for the first day and we're in there lighting it and shit (laughs) outside the fucking window. The house is sort of in this U shape around, around a little tiny like courtyard and outside of the window looking into the courtyard is a, an oak tree that they had killed, that they had cut to build this house around and we were like holy shit like you can't write that shit and we couldn't light it we didn't have time to light it we would have used that yeah it was so much more like violent and devastating than the than the, the table stump. that we brought in you know yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. like oh fuck man like that was like it was just just life imitating shit, art you know in, in the this, worst way and like you know the whole there's a thing about Oakland that we say where the the only oak trees left are on the street signs, right? Like that's it. There's there's an oak. It is the symbol of Oakland, but there aren't oak trees in Oakland anymore. Are there like, not right? really? Yeah. 
No, there aren't any really. There are very, very few. Huh. Like you know that one that you can't see. That's but the, the history in the movie is real. That it used to be they lined the streets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean that's why it was called Oakland. That's why it's the yeah. trees on the sign because there it used to be full of oak trees. Wow. But. It was great. I really, I, I found the, the film like yeah, compelling and surprising and, and uh, you know, informative. It was good. It was all good. Thank you very much. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you came by and I'm happy to meet you. Yeah, uh, I'm yeah, a fan. Too. It's great. I, I am a fan as well. So it's, uh, yeah, we're uh, clipping, you know, when you tour through this country, you spend a lot of time in the car and we always drive ourselves. We don't really like a bus or anything. So yeah. we'd, we listen to stand up the whole time. Oh, like, good. You're, you're one of our favorites oh, for sure, for sure. Well, that's and nice. your And this show. Oh, good. We this we listen to this show all the time. Well, now I'm going to go listen to clipping because that's the one, the, the one zone of your, <laughs> your thing that I, I didn't quite get to. Check it out, man. It's weird. It's weird rap shit. All right, man. Good talking <laughs> to you. You too. Well, that was good. I like talking to that guy. Great guy. Again, his movie Blind Spotting, which he stars in and co-wrote, opens in select cities tomorrow, July 20th. Um, also, there are new dates. You can go to uh, new dates. I don't know if did he put him up. I Jesus, I don't know if they're up on my site yet. Are they? Would they be? Hold on, I'm going to look. Yes, they are. They're all up there. I'll be at the Ice House tonight, uh, tomorrow night, and Saturday. I'll be at Wise Guys in Utah, August third and August fourth. I'll be at the Comedy Addict. Addict. <laughs> I'll be at the Comedy Attic. Attic in. Uh, in August the 30th, 31st, September 1st, and September 1st, <laughs> twice. So I'll be there the 30th, uh, 31st, and the 1st of September, August and uh, September there. I'll be at Acme in Minneapolis, September 6th, 7th, and 8th. And I'll be at the Comedy Works in Denver, September 21 and uh, 22. And uh, I think I got a Largo day coming up, but I haven't, uh, I don't think I've, I've, I got that on the... I don't know if I booked that out yet. Whatever. I got some bigger shows coming up that I'm just uh, getting ready for, but these are going to be great club shows, so come out. I don't think I'm going to play guitar today because my dad's in my house and I should go deal with him. Boomer lives! <laughs>